are back. We are back. Welcome to Match Point number nine, a tennis bets podcast. I'm one of two hosts here, David E.J. Berger. You can find our show handle at MP9Tennis on X and all the socials these days. You can find our show on Spotify and Apple and pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. If this is your first time listening, Chance Starts Hype found us. If you're a returning listener, returning champion, welcome in. I'm based in California and I'm tossing it to Canada the home of my co-host here, Mr. John Reed. You can find him at Jared Reed's Tennis. He does betting content for his own brand, Tidbits Tennis. He writes for the Action Network, betting expert, Hammer HQ, Tennis Form Recaps, which have kept him busy. John, welcome in. That's me. Hey, that's me. Um, yeah, no, it's been a fun week. Fun start. Uh, great Monday. Not so great Tuesday and Wednesday. I'm in the process of seeing if I can blow a 21 unit of profit month in the span of three days after 28 days of building it up. So that's fun. Let's see uh, if we can. Now, tomorrow September 1st. We're recording this on the 31st. So t- this will not count towards said blowing of profit. But we'll see today, the rest of the day, uh, how that works out. I'm sure you'll hear about it on at Tidbits Tennis if you want to see my meltdown and, and tilt over uh, over that happening, if it, if it should so happen. Yeah, luck of the draw that we were unable to uh, record for the full Tuesday. Uh, that was <laughs> probably the worst betting day uh, of the year for myself uh, as well, which we can... Use that to pivot us into our accountability segment. What did we win? What did we learn? Last time out, John, though, we hit some pretty big dogs. Wins. Zhang Jian, money line plus 180 versus JJ Wolf. He picked up a huge win against Rude yesterday as well. Fabian Marichon, plus 195 versus Richard Gasquet. Cash it. Juan Pablo Ferreus, plus 395 versus Keshmanovic. Some dog bombs coming in for us. Look bad though early six one first set thankfully uh thankfully there's more than one set in tennis yeah uh, and oh do you remember when he was up five one forty or five one and then five three forty love and almost blew the over three and a half sets in that way too that was fun i remember that part <laughs> yes that was uh fairly tilting in the moment Kubi here cash and mark andre Husler set one over nine and a half we talked about that comes in overs in general for that match comes in goes all the way Hubie. On the brink of disaster, guts it out in five sets somehow. Solid choke by Huesler. Solid choke. I don't know. Do you consider two sets a two-set lead and serving for the match at 5-4 in the third a choke? I, I'd probably consider that a choke. Um, <laughs> plus 9-44. That's the sound of it going down the drain. Another one. I've had a lot of them this week. It's been fun. It's always fun. Hubie looked like he just woke up uh, in that match, by the way. I, it's yeah. so funny like sometimes Hubie literally looks like he just rolled out of bed uh, he better not he better not do that today by the way because he's playing another lefty with just as big of a serve and infinitely more talent and rally tolerance and defending abilities than Husler. so if he does that again today he's not getting let off the hook by Jack Draper Daniel Medvedev destroyed Attila Balaz yeah well you had a nice little rant about his potential <laughs> inability to win a game which you were correct about because <laughs> he did not win many games 27 that opened at again i said it last episode and you know what it was such a good bet whoever the hell saw it and pummeled it down to 24 and a half i mean once again amazing job like no sarcasm at all this is not me being a dick i'm serious like if you got 27 and you just kept clicking max bet until it was down to 25 you did one hell of a job because you put it into place at 24 24 and a half where it should have been uh, and made a lot of money over a really bad mistake by Pinnacle. That was three games. It's it's not so much. 27 looks like a low number, but it was more about that what that implies per set, right? Three games a set. You were going to give Balaz three games a set there? Nuts. Anyway, 
Good job, whoever did that. Our guest last time out, Vinny at MetaTip Tennis. He it wasn't an official bet, but he had Hachanov, Karen Hachanov on upset alert in our outright segment, and he was dead on with that one as he goes out. And then Vinny and you, John, won on the Offner Borges match. You took the money line down. A over thirty nine comes in, and this is going to pivot us to our losses. Is uh, I learned, uh, yeah, okay, Nuno, taking a timeout from you for a while until I see some improvement. Borges money line does not come in. Speaking of taking a timeout from Diego Schwartzman, uh, yeah. was a minus one fifty five favorite. Loses in straight sets to Rindernich. You know. Most of that was for the calf injury, I think, that Rinder Ditch picked up in Winston-Salem the week before, but uh, apparently it was fine. And we talk we talk about learning, right? What do we win? What do we learn? And it's, it is a segment name and it works in the show, but it's also in a literal sense. This is something to note. And I, I know this, and you've really got to hammer home the message to yourself when handicapping first rounds of slams. The week before a slam, do not put... Too much into injury scares. Corda ends up going five marathon sets. His ankle held up just fine. And Altier Rinderknecht never had an issue with his calf in that first round match against Diego. Two players from Winston-Salem. I don't want to say both full of shit, but both very close to being full of something resembling shit. Leonard Tien, plus eight and a half versus Francis Tiafo. That had no chance. Tiafo, here's what I'll say. Tien was actually pretty good in that match. Tiafo was awesome in that match. I mean, some of the shots that Tiafo was uh, pulling off. I mean, where was this like? This was a Tiafo that you want like in those peak matches when he's playing much higher quality opponents. I don't know why he went full fucking superhero versus poor Lerner. But uh, yeah, Lerner, I actually thought it looked pretty good in that match, even though he didn't cover. Daniel Galan, plus five and a half. And Moneyline versus Evans, I think he was, uh, was well over plus 200. On the money line, this was one of the dog bombs we talked about. Uh, or this was a dog pick we talked about. They played for almost three hours. Daniel Galan generated two break points, which is very tough to do, but he did it. And rounded the finish here with some dog bombs that didn't come in. Milos Ronich versus Sissipas. Round cool. two early. We had, I mean, <laughs> Stricker takes out Sissipas the next match. Uh, Shevchenko versus Cam Nori decided that he remembers how to play tennis consistently for a long period of time. And then Guido Pei. We're going to talk about Lloyd Harris coming up, but another long match that ends in straight sets that was very tight. 10-point difference across three sets. There was a point that Harris was up two sets. Uh, he'd won five more total points. Yeah, he broke twice. I think there were two breaks to serve in that match. Paya was le- legitimately lost that by two breaks in three sets. Very, right, he, he played a pretty decent match. He just couldn't. When when Lloyd Harris lands 73% of his first serves and his first forehand is clicking, you're not beating him. And that's what happened. 73%. If you're landing three of every four first serves, it's 40-15 every game. And sometimes you're just holding to love, right? Because you're still winning 45-50% to 50% of those second serve points. That's legitimately the equivalent of. Now, of course, it doesn't play out exactly that way. But on average, that is basically... 40 love, and then half the time your your second serve points coming in. That's mad. Or 40-15, and then you know your second serve points, either 40-30 or coming. Point is, he only faced two break points. Nuts. That was on uh, Black Tuesday. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Nothing Jesus. could go right. I even bet uh, Hubie Hustler correct score after six games, 3-3, three, three, and I didn't get it because Hustler broke Hubie at the top of the match. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. The least likely of the, like, I mean, it's not likely either of them breaks, but if one of them is going to break, you'd think it would be Hercatch because Hughesler can spray his forehand and Hercatch can at least grind. 
No, no. First first game of the match, it was huge. That was nuts. Outrights, uh, we still have Tommy and Hubie alive uh, on the quarter market. and uh, But Bublik went full clown, and uh, I don't even know what that was from Bublik in that first match against team. And uh, it was classic Bublik. Uh, really i don't know if you saw this on the timeline uh speaking of bublik but he apparently said that his good behavior in hala was because he apparently had been warned conduct violation so he was like on his best behavior during that grass run Uh, but takes down that title gets some uts money has some uts money coming in at the end of this month or at the end of september uh, as well yeah not not the biggest motivation here for bublik apparently at the U.S. Open, and then uh, Yuri Lahashka, he's dead already at 14-1. to 1. We talked about him. All right, John, I'll have this out in time to talk about the last two round two matches here. Uh, we mentioned Lloyd Harris versus Pea. He's taking on Carlos Alcaraz tonight. He is an eight-game dog, plus 1,200 on the money line. The total is at 31. These two have never met. Harris has resurged a little bit this summer coming off injury. The big serving South African once hit a high of 31, I believe. He's in the high 30s. Coming back has shown that the serve is there, but the rally tolerance, not so much, although did stand up pretty well against Paya in the first round. Alcaraz is number one player of the world for the moment. Unbelievable player, generational superstar. Not so great against the spread, though, John. Not so great. Routinely does not cover uh, for many. I think, he, what, London? He didn't cover in many matches. Cincinnati, he didn't cover for many matches. Getting a pretty fat game spread here against Lloyd Harris, who, like I mentioned, the serve is, is there. That's not the problem. The problem is if uh, Alcaraz extends points here, is he going to hold up? What do you think about this one, John? For me, it's it's one of those, I know you love your first set money lines for dogs. I mean, if you're going to do it, if you're going to bet Harris, it's probably one avenue to go for. You're going to get huge odds for it, too. You don't need to bet a lot of money. You're Again, you're not predicting it to happen. You're saying there's a greater than one in, like, five and a half chance it does. Now, you're like I, I love the discrepancy between, you know, the plus 1,900 full-time, full-match odds and plus 450 first set. <laughs> it's just – and it's true because there is a good chance that Harris serves his way – or much better chance Harris serves his way to one set than he does to three. Obviously, duh. But that discrepancy still makes me chuckle a bit. Uh, look, the first set money line you can look at, you can look at uh, plus two and a half sets. I think I'd almost rather the plus two and a half sets at these prices because um, the implied probabilities are still under 40% at plus two and a half sets to win any one of them rather than just the first. I think that probably presents a little bit more value than the first set money line here. But um, normally I'd go for for the first set money line or the the overs. You can look at first set over, live second set over. Over nine and a half here is plus 120 at certain books. Plus 110, most of the market, plus 120 at certain books if you shop around. I don't mind that just because, you know, Alcrest has shown a susceptibility to bigger servers, to at least playing close sets against good servers or really good servers, right? Um, unless he's losing sets lopsided, it's like Djokovic. It's, he's played a lot of close ones, right? Go back to Wimbledon. You've got your whole Garuna tiebreak. Um, Hari, not the greatest on grass, but there were still a couple tiebreaks along the way there. There was a tiebreak against Alex Mueller on quicker courts. There was a tiebreak in the Djokovic match. He played one against Shelton, two against Hercotch. And then you go to Cincinnati, where you have, again, quicker hard courts, two against Tommy Paul, a 7-5 against Thompson, a four, two 6-4 sets against Purcell out of three. 
another tiebreak against her catch and then three long sets against Djokovic. The, the potential is there and you can't really look at his first match as an indicator here because of course Kepfer landed on his ankle really awkwardly in the first game of the match. Not just the first set, but the first game at Deuce. He had to stop play and good on him for giving the, the Ash crowd a set and a half and they still groaned like petulant children when he retired uh, instead of giving him an ovation because Venus didn't show up. That match took an hour and then they were about to have no tennis in the second match, basically. And they still almost cried, but that's besides the point. Ungrateful New Yorkers. <laughs> um, but look, I-, I do think the first set over here is a decent proposition considering Harris's serve and considering the odds uh, up being at plus 120. You need this to hit less than half the time uh, as your break-even percentage. And I do think uh, it, it should hit if Harris is serving well. And if he's not, okay, you move on to the next bet. Set one money line at plus 500 on Bovada. The total is at nine and a half at minus 105 for the over. I agree with betting small on both those looks. And this is something I, I tend to notice. Uh, the sharper money, I think, tends to move bet online a little quicker than Bovada to Win a set is plus 155 on Ben Online. It's plus 185 on Bovada. So a little bit of lag time there on that one. I think uh, some people out there are sniffing around Lloyd Harris, and uh, I think rightfully so. Now, obviously, well, they, they follow Ben Online follows Pinnacle, right? And so Pinnacle's at that plus 155 mark. Uh, they actually opened plus 125. Harris was plus 125 to win a set, not betting it there. Uh, once it crosses to the other side of 40% in implied probabilities, right? So it goes from below 40%. I think you've got a bit more uh, room to to play with there. Yeah, plus 185 to what I said, I think is a pretty good price for uh, a guy with Harris's servability. And the theme of the U.S. Open so far has, has been people bucking the trend of the narratives that they've been carrying with them into the tournament. So we'll see if he can hang in some rallies and uh, and maybe get out a set of tie break, maybe get the late break and gets a hold. Uh, I like like the odds. Of course, low staking because it's Carlos Alcaraz. So don't, uh, don't overextend yourself. And you want to have some action tonight in that match. You're going to be watching it. Let's be real. Uh, Daniil Medvedev is taking on Chris O'Connell. These two have met twice before. Medvedev is 2-0, won by nine games in 2020 here at the U.S. Open, four games in three sets in Doha. And, John, I believe you have some uh, thoughts on this one. Yeah, this is one. I'm not huge on head-to-head in general. I think it's me more for me when I look back at that Doha match. It has more to do with the the adjustments made by O'Connell and the fact that he can absolutely carry those over into this match. And really they're, they're not, they're adjustments that Medvedev can't really adjust to, right? He can't readjust if you will, just because his game is his game. And when he plays that far behind the baseline on return, you're susceptible to the serve and volley period. End of story. Unless you're hitting passing shots at a very high level. That's exactly what happened in Doha. If you recall, Medvedev was up six two. I was, Really happy. I had Medvedev minus games or the under. I can't remember. I'll have to look it up on my spreadsheet. Either way, I had Medvedev in some capacity there. I think it was the under because, um, or minus four and a half. Either way, it didn't hit. O'Connell starts serving and volleying in the second set, and Medvedev cannot find another break of serve because he he returns so far behind the baseline. Even if his opponent isn't the biggest server, it's just his his more natural where he feels more comfortable. He moves in. And it's like the opposite of Carolyn Garcia. She moves in because that's where she's comfortable. She still sucks at it. But if he moves in, he kind of loses not only the time to return that he likes, but also the comfort and the natural feel that best suits his game. And O'Connell really exploited that almost to the tune of a plus 900 upset. 
he's a smart enough guy. Like he's not a pure power player. He is a kind of tactical tennis IQ kind of player as well. It's not like he's going to forget what got him to be, what, what made him successful against Medvedev there. I would not be surprised to see him snipe a set tonight. He's at plus 182 as well uh, for a set at Pinnacle. He's actually 30 cents cheaper than Harris against Alcaraz. I kind of prefer that number. Again, if you have Bavad, I don't mind that Harris number either, but I prefer the O'Connell if you if you're you're using just pinnacle the O'Connell number two the the Harris number because we've seen it before and it wasn't like a fluke six four set that he took and it wasn't a fluke that he pushed him to five all in the third it was a calculated adjustment that paid dividends and it's one that Medvedev either refuses to adjust to or doesn't want to right or sorry either he refuses to or he can't and to me that is a matchup not in O'Connell's favor, but it certainly levels the playing field a lot more than the price would indicate. Certainly worth exploiting. So I, I think that the, the O'Connell um, either plus game, I don't know if I do plus games because if Medvedev does find a 6-1, you're screwed. But the plus sets, the overs, uh, set overs, if it doesn't hit in the first, you can try and attack him with, with half unit wagers live um, in every set. Something like that. Like just find an approach that would allow you to back O'Connell to keep it close in some capacity, whether it's to win a set, whether it's set overs along the way, whether it's total games over, set overs, et cetera, et cetera. There are certain ways um, to exploit that because he did really figure it out in Doha as that match went on. We are thinking that there might actually be some competitive matches on Louis Armstrong and Arthur Ashe tonight for the first time this week. <laughs> so there you go. All right, Jamal, let's pivot over to round three and let's kick it off with my guy, Big Dom Stricker. Now, I spent a fair amount of real estate on our Wimbledon pod talking about Stricker money line rollover and our draw talk in that one. And I was a slam too early. John, he is walking in with a, a dub against Popperin. It's kind of funny because he played Popperin, I believe round one and Wimbledon as well. And the round two opponent was uh, a top 10 player finally gets the dub though against Sitsipas. So he's cooking uh, Ben Bonzi, the Frenchman is who he takes on next. It is booked at Stricker is a minus 130 money line favorite. Bonzi is a dog at plus 110. The spread is one. The total is at 41 here. A first meeting between both. Now, Stricker fatigue, I think, could come into play here. Not only a long five setter, but this will be a sixth match, including his qualifying run. Ben Bonzi has had random levels. He seems to be playing with confidence again after losing to World. 491 Darian King 6361 at the Winnipeg Challenger uh, on August 16th, just a couple weeks ago. That gets a win against his countryman Mueller in Winston Salem, loses in straight sets to quarter then before beating a poor form Halise and Chris Eubanks, uh, who might be cooling off a bit here at the US Open. He's been coming back from a wrist injury. Something I forgot about that I remembered last night doing some research into this uh, made the Pune final. Uh, at the beginning of the year versus Greek Spore. So definitely someone who can play up on a hard court. About even Elo, uh, both blended and raw on hard. Bonzi less than 33 points higher in raw, about 11 points higher in the blended. So it seems like a pretty even matchup. John, what do you think of my man, Stricker, off the hot win? What do you think of that, that Sitsipas match? Well, I mean, I want to thank Milos Raonic for being uttered you know, doo-doo against, I've already said the word shit a couple times. I don't know why I did that um, against Cincy Pass. Because look, I think I got fooled. I said in my write-up, it was a statement win for Cincy Pass against a big server. When I watched that match back again, 
or watch, you know, the extended highlights, Raonic's inside-out forehand, listen, he had the right mindset. He was trying to attack the Sitsi pass backhand. The inside-out forehand had a lot less on it than, you know, I've ever seen from Milos, including in his return, not just peak Milos. I'm not talking about three years ago, Milos. I'm talking about two months ago, Milos. That inside-out forehand was almost pushed. It might have been the footwork being slow to get himself around the ball, to run around the ball to try and uh, hit a forehand out wide to that Sitsi pass backhand. Perhaps he was slow, and and so his his technique was off, and he didn't get as much power as he normally would. That could be it. The point is, it wasn't very big, and he hit seven or eight double faults, and he didn't really serve as well to that backhand as he wanted to. So it was just a case of Milos being awful that made Sitsi pass like his backhand looked good that night, which was the outlier, and it was against again a poor Milos who looked underpowered and nowhere near his his top level. He comes back, he plays Stricker, and he looks as you'd expect against a lefty with a big serve. And I want to thank the mar- uh, him for that because the market didn't really adjust and didn't realize Milos played like absolute crap. And so we got six and a half games in the over. Those were both in by the end of the third. Thank you very much. I'll take it. Stricker is just so much better than Ben Bonesy. And you, you, you forgot to mention Steven Diaz, the Steven Diaz loss, which for my money is worse than Darian King because Darian King is at least a hard quarter that grinds you down, whatever. Steven Diaz is just a pusher, clay court, challenger, duster. So like that was also a loss in Porto on hard courts. Really bad. For Bonesy, his wins this summer, Yuta Shimizu, challenger to her player at best. And even there, he's mediocre. So, I mean, in your power ratings, he's somewhere in the 300 range. Mueller, Alexandre, Alexandre Mueller, who, who, again, plays a very similar style, decent first serve, but just much worse than Bonesy overall. Conte Aliou hasn't beaten anyone who just recently had a kid. And then Chris Eubanks, who was physically ailing. There might have been a hip issue. He was nauseous. He had to run out at the during the fourth set. At trying to sprint to take a bathroom bake to puke. Another player who struggled along with team, along with Rusu Vori. There's something going on in New York City right now, um, whether it's bad food or whatever. Point is, Eubanks really struggled physically. He was the better player in the first set. He was the better player in the second set. I watched this whole thing for tennis form. Uh, and then he started to, he was like, legitimately could not move between points. Consistently asked the chair for the doctor to come out and give him uh, nausea medicine. And he still pushed him to a tie break in the fourth set by just keeping point short, coming to net, serving, volleying, uh, all that kind of good stuff. Bonesy was vulnerable against a 65-70% Chris Eubanks. He barely, he, like, he, he snuck by Ali by a two-break margin of victory who hasn't beaten anyone lately. What makes you think he's coming out against an informed Dom Stricker with absolute bombs from the baseline, bombs from his serve, and he's got that kind of youth that gives him that, that athleticism to play on return. And he was returning decently against Sitsi Pass consistently. And Bonesy just, uh, what does Bonesy do better? He works his forehand around the court more intelligently. I'll give him that. Doesn't have the bigger serve just by default. I'm not saying he's got a bad serve. I'm saying that Dom Stricker has a huge one. He doesn't have the bigger ground strokes. He doesn't have kind of the athleticism even. I wouldn't even say he's that much better of a mover, even though Dom's a much bigger guy. I mean, to me, this is so lopsided in Stricker's favor. And I'm not going to you know, put up my stakes and, and whatnot here because I'm going to write this up for betting experts. So you can go there if you want to know how big I'm betting this. Um, shameless plug alert. You can go there tomorrow morning when I, I'll post it on my timeline. But I will be on Dom Stricker. I can promise you that. Yeah, I think the only worry is uh, the fatigue factor for Stricker here. Uh, right. So, oh, be, thank you. Minus one and a half sets as well will be uh, a play on top of the money line. I forgot to add that. And you kind of made that point with the fatigue. No. If he's going to go five, I don't like either, really. So he should win quickly. Now, I, I do wonder if we see or how the market is going to uh, move this. Uh, so far, it's 
hasn't moved at all. It's stayed the same since it opened at minus 130, at least on Bovada. So we'll see. Yeah, you know I'm rolling with my guy Stricker here. Now, I will fully clarify this is more of a heart than a head play. Uh, Bonzi is 7-4 and four against lefties to her level. Now, I did not look up the quality of those left-handed opponents, which mm. you should definitely factor in. But uh, worry, I'm doing that for you right now. Okay, <laughs> five or six in his career, four and one on hard courts at tour level. Ugo Umber at the U.S. Open last year, and Ugo was like in terrible, terrible form last year, as we know. Ugo Umber again in Mets in three sets, lost to Tiago Montero in Gijón. And then at the Australian Open, he beat Mattia Bellucci, a challenger-level grinder, kind of weaponless. So he's got two wins over Montero, two wins over an out-of-form Umber, and a win over Mattia Bellucci. That's five and one, I believe. Sorry. Let me rephrase. Two wins over an out-of-form Umber, one win over a challenger-level Mattia Bellucci, and then one and one against Tiago Montero. So, I mean, yeah, I put Dom Stricker above all those guys. Again, 2022 Umber, if it was this year's Umber, different story. Last year's I'm not so convinced by those wins from Bonesy. Plus, he's out of form himself when he was in much better form last year. So a lot of factors um, kind of to contextualize that that 4-1 record on hard courts in his career against lefties. Certainly over Montero. All right. Well, I will say this. I, I like Stricker at minus 130. If he tips at minus 150 or higher, I, I don't know if I like that one. I, I don't know if I like a juice Stricker uh, with the fatigue risk. But minus one thirty, like I like it down to one six one point six one, which I believe is minus one sixty five. All right, fair enough. All right, John, let's move on to Adrian Manorino versus Francis Tiafo. I want to give a shout out to Manorino. Okay, twenty twenty three, he's been pretty good. I cashed Manorino at minus one and a half sets at minus one sixty five versus Marishan in my comeback Wednesday yesterday. Mano was thirty and twenty this year. He won the Newport title. Went deep in Miami. He's kind of balling for, for Manorino. Cincinnati. Good Cincinnati. run in Cincinnati, too. Yes. Manorino is a plus 260 dog. The spread is five and a half. Tiafo is minus 325 on the money line here. The total is at 37 and a half. Uh, the head dead is one and one. Foe won by seven games in a match in 2018. Manorino won in 2016 in Washington. So a lot has changed since then. Can't take. A ton from the the head-to-head. Not that we're head-to-head people in general, but uh, certainly not bringing a lot from those. So far, Francis Tiafo has been the lights-out, dialed-in Tiafo, winning in straight sets, uh, absolutely crushed Sebastian Offner. But is that who we will get? Lerner Chien is uh, 17, just coming on the tour. Offner has no real hardcore data. Before that, lost to Raonich in Canada. Evans in D.C., while Rinka in Cincinnati. I know this is all about New York for foe. Uh, certainly a different mindset here. He loves this city, loves this tournament, but Manorino can be tricky. What are you thinking about this one, John? Yeah, I just, I, I like Mana's ability to get balls back in play and the hyper-aggressive nature of Tiafo's game. I, I really like it. It's actually super entertaining to watch. And you throw in his charisma, I, I still believe he's, Probably the most marketable player not named Alcaraz or Djokovic in men's tennis. Far more interesting tennis to watch than Zverev or Medvedev. He's got the personality. Medvedev is more of a heel, so he's marketable in that sense. But he's he's more of like, what do they call it? And What's the opposite of heel? Hero, I guess. I don't know. Tiafo's got that much more like the positive-centric marketability. Super athletic. Great shot-making you can see why, and you, you have to have talent to be a marketable player in a sport, period, end of story, and it's there. 
I just, I'm really skeptical as to current level Manorino. A lot of the times his dips seem to be motivational issues or just not hustling as much as we'd seen in, in past years when he was a near top 20 player, right? He was, his career high, I think is 22. He's been a top 25 player before. It's just, I think the hustle kind of died down a bit when he was 30, 30, or 32, 33, 34. Somehow it's come back when he's 35. Perfect time for him to get back to being that really pesky grinder because the tour is down right now. I don't care what anyone says uh, or if they don't want to talk about it, it is down. And so it's a perfect time for a guy like that to just not miss balls and upset players on a regular basis. I do think that that he has a, a decent shot to extend this match. I'm not going to go for the win, but the, like I said, the hyper-aggressive nature from Foe, he can net a lot of balls. Last night against Offner, when he, when he got that point started, it was his point because they were both hitting big. And the problem for Offner is when you're hitting that large on a relatively, like let's call it a medium-paced hardcore, I've, I've heard it called fast, I've heard it called slow, we'll call it medium. When you're hitting that big and your opponent's hitting that big, you, neither of you has a lot of time right, to set up your shots or to run and and, and make your returns. Tiafo is able to, to cover that space even against pacey ground strokes because he's super quick, super agile, super athletic. Offner is a big kind of clunky moving <laughs> kind of guy, right? It's why he likes the clay. He needs that time afforded to him to get to the ball to make his shots. And, and Tiafo just tore him apart in that aspect from the baseline. I don't think that's the case here, right? It's a totally different player in Manorino. That lefty game, if he can just pick on the backhand and not let Foe crush forehands, he could be in for a decent showing. Now, if he's going to play to Foe's forehand a ton, even his good movement is not going to be enough to stop or slow down Foe. He's going to get to balls, but he's going to leave a lot of balls short that Foe is just going to put away. So they're, they're, the path to keeping this close is there. I don't know if there's a path to victory in best of five here for Manorino. But an over could certainly be in play. I don't know if I, I pulled the trigger, but that's how I see the match. And I just have to check the numbers to evaluate against probabilities and likelihoods. You can get over three and a half sets at minus 150 on bet online. I mean, I like that versus Manorino to win a set at minus 200. So you get a bit of a discount there. I it, the, the spread scares me because it's, we've seen some pretty yeah. lopsided sets so far here in New York. And, and Manorino is is also one to tank sets too. Like if he's down 4-1 against Foe and it's like love 30 on his serve, he is not against just packing it in, taking the 1-6 and moving on, right? That is not out of like the realm of possibility. Same thing with Bublik. Yeah. And we've seen the, the total at 37, 37 and a half. You know, I was on the over 36 in the Kachin-Shelton match, uh, which went to four and didn't even sniff. 36 <laughs> which is insane for a hard court match but uh, that's what's been happening here at the open so i like the over three and a half at minus 150 i, I think manorino is pretty live to get a set he's a little juiced to win a set himself market uh so that might be a way to attack it with just the over three and a half aslan karatsev is taking on ben shelton karatsev is plus 120 as the dog shelton is a minus 145 Moneyline favorite. The spread is two. The total is 40. First meeting between the two. Potential for a fun but sloppy match here. I don't trust either player. I said before the RCB match for Karatsev, he was going to hit 60 plus airs. He ended up with 54, which I was impressed by that he slid under uh, my 60 plus prediction because on the other side of it, 83 winners. So he was cooking in that match a bit. 
in the four sets. Uh, Shelton had a terrible start to his USO, goes down 1-6 before winning the next three sets versus Kachin, uh, gets out the tie break after getting broken first versus Dami Team. Shelton had 28 unforced errors versus Kachin, but 14 in the one set versus Team. Uh, this is two guys who are going to spray. Is there, is there a match that looks like more of an over-candidate in the world than this one? Jeez. It just, it screams over. And you know what's going to happen? One of my least favorite things in the world, if it if it doesn't go over, you know what everyone's going to call it? The trap. <laughs> bro, trap game. I played the under because everyone was going to be on the over because it was too obvious, bro. It was obvious it was going under. I cannot wait. Like, this is the perfect match to have all those moronic buffoons just crawl out of the woodwork with their bona fide, unintelligent takes. Um, that's what's going to happen here. But the over is probably going to be set in the 40s, I would guess. Yeah, it's right at 40. So I don't know if you have an edge bet in the over. It does scream that this is an overmatch, and the books have and the market has priced it accordingly. So I I probably go Karatsev money line or sit this one out, to be honest. I can get a plus 132 Karatsev money line on bet online. I then I'm starting to get interested there because while last 52 on hard, he's got an 18% break percentage career. Uh, he's got a 24% break percentage. Benny is not someone who breaks a ton. He's got a career 12% break percentage on hard last 52, 12%, which that's about when he started playing on the tour uh, this time last year, you know, for Shelton's hype and, you know, celebrity, he's 13 and 14 on a hardcore career so far, 10 and 12 last 52 weeks. He hasn't shown me a ton to be a significant favorite versus Karatsev. So yeah, I, I'm kind of with you, John. I think it's dog money line Karatsev or or nothing for me in this one. I'm close too, by the way. It's it, there are plus one thirties out there. Uh, market average is in that plus one twenty two, plus one twenty four range. There's there's pinnacle is hanging at plus one twenty, plus one thirty one. And to me, honestly, sometimes like a few cents make the difference, right? There is a point where on one side you're betting it, on one side you're not, and it may only be a five cent difference. To me, this is right in that range. I don't know if I'm betting the plus 120. I do think the plus 131 is the slightest half unit to unit value kind of bet. So um, I'm not saying go crazy with it, but this is kind of where price shopping, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the microcosm of, of why price shopping is important. I would say this match kind of illustrates it well. Absolutely. Tommy Paul is taking on Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. Paul is 2-0 head-to-head both this year, a five-setter at the Australian Open, and a two-set win in Miami. Uh, for Tommy, being the traditional hard quarter, only 100 more points of raw hard ELO data, which was surprising to me. So Fukina is certainly formidable uh, on a on a hard court. Uh, he's looked pretty good so far through two matches. Absolutely eviscerated uh, Juan Mas Sarundalo, who's been playing up for the last week and a half uh, through Winston-Salem. Uh, I said in our chat is Fokina, he's a nine game favorite. Does he beat people down? And guess what? He, he beat him down <laughs> pretty, pretty easily. Uh, so, I mean, Tommy Paul is minus 140 on the money line. Fokina plus 115. The total is at 39. Uh, both are two of the more mentally fragile players on <laughs> tour. Is that a polite way to say that? <laughs> Neither guy. Uh, although I said that in um, the Miami match that neither guy is going to serve this out the first time, but uh, Tommy did. This this feels like multiple sets are impending. The total, the total is at 39. Booked that way. I have Tommy plus 
550 to win this quarter. I'm inclined to just let that play and, and sit this one out. But uh, do you have a take on this one, John? We're up to minus 125 on Tommy. And I would I would caution people that are just going to bet Davidovich Fokina. This is probably the matchup where I would really try and, and tone down my recency bias the most. We know that Davidovich Fokina can, can, as you said beautifully, eviscerate people one match and then completely lose it the next, right? We know that Tommy can take it easy against certain opponents and come back and dominate like he did uh, against, I think, Roman Safulin. We know that he crushed Stefano Travaglia. And he, even he admitted, like, I had a dip in the fourth. I almost wonder, he didn't say it on, in his on-court interview, but he did kind of allude to the fact that he he almost took a, almost a set off and he paid for it. And Travaglia did up his aggression and that was part of it as well. But he was the much better player in that match. So I wouldn't put too much in him going forward, Travaglia. I wouldn't put too much in him having to come back from two sets down against Safiel. And if anything, you can you can call about momentum, confidence. You want to talk about a confidence builder. Coming from two sets down and a slam with the crowd at your back, that's going to get you pretty damn pumped up for your next match. So people are looking at this and the, the market is bet, has bet Tommy at Pinnacle from what, minus 140 to minus 125. This is probably the match that I would, I would, yes, the, the, your most recent form and how you're performing right now does matter because that absolutely in an individual sport can carry over. I'm not saying it doesn't matter at all. I'm just saying with these two players in particular, I'd really tone down just how much I weigh that or how much, how much I factor that in. And I can't believe this, but for once the market is ignoring head to head. This is the most relevant head to head you can have. One, it was, they played twice and two, they were both this year. And both on the relevant surface. The Australian Open went five sets, and then Miami Paul won in straight. So um, is this a close-ish match? match? Sure. Do I give Tommy the edge? Absolutely. I just think that his game has a little more consistency to it. I'm not calling him a consistent player. Uh, but I think when he does have dips, it's a lot more down to him taking, not breaks, but like mentally just checking out a bit. And, you know, him just not playing up to his ability so much as David Fokina, who plays a very volatile style, right? And I think has less control over it. If Tommy stays mentally engaged, he can beat Carlos Alcaraz. He can push Alcaraz to three. He can beat anyone, right? The level is there and he has consistency in his game that I don't think David Fokina has. So I'm, I'm actually inclined to bet Tommy here. I don't know if the home crowd makes a difference. Again, that's going to depend on the player and you can't really price that in accurately because it's going to mean a lot for some. It's going to mean nothing for others. Playing against the crowd will mean a lot for some and nothing for others. So a lot of people try and price that in. And I just, I think it's it's a fool's errand, but keep that in mind, uh, in the back of your mind. I don't, if you don't put it in your handicap, I think you're better off. But if you do, um, it's worth noting a little bit. Perhaps that helps Tommy. I just think that Tommy's the better player here, more consistency. And he has that, he has the serve to match Fokina. He can absolutely hit his forehand. I don't, I don't think he gets enough credit for his forehand. I think a lot of people who I follow, Alex Gruskin, Gil Gross, give him a lot of credit for it. But the general tennis community, I don't think understands how good Tommy's forehand is. So, um, I mean, you don't, you don't beat Carlos Alcaraz and push him and beat him last year as well. Like he's consistently done this against Alcaraz. Now you don't beat and push the best players in the world without a really strong serve and forehand combination. So I, I do like Tommy Paul in this matchup. I think the consistency is 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 the main difference for me. He's already a slight favorite. I'd probably push him back out to that minus one forty five mark that he opened at, or minus one forty, uh, than the minus one twenty five the markets come into here. I'd, I'd I'd agree with the traders at Pinnacle more than I'd agree with where the market has pushed this. Tommy, do it for America. America. Running out of time here, so let's quickly let's rapid fire the last few. Zhang Jian is minus 155 money line favorite versus Rinky Hajikata, who is plus 130. You know, John, I have watched 
or score tracked. I would say 80% of Rinky Hajikata's matches this year for some reason. And this is a tough matchup for Rinky. He can be overpowered uh, and Zhang's bringing that to the table. Now, Zhang did just use a lot of uh, mental fortitude to gut out a five-set win versus uh, a top 10 player on a huge stage. Do we see a lapse here uh, in this match? versus Hajikata, who can make someone who's trying to get out of points play a lot of balls. But the power thing here, if we see Zhang come down here from minus 155, what is he on bet online? He's minus 147 on bet online. Uh, yeah, if we see Hajikata money coming in, I, I'm going to be on the on the Zhang side. Look, I'd like to back Hajikata. I think last match was just a great example of Fukshevich struggling to back up a long match against Korda. He, like he does not beat the crap out of Fukshevich like that without, you know, Fukshevich struggling physically. So I can't really put much stock in that. I love Rinky Summer. I do think Zhang is just so much more talented, also more volatile, but we saw him really play the style he should be playing against Kasparud. He needs to play that same style against Hijikata. Long points are not your friend. Smother your opponent. Don't give them the time to get depth on their shots. Create short balls, put them away, move on. That's what he did against Rude. I don't think Hijikata does anything in particular as well, or better than Rude to, to kind of offset that, this matches on Zhang's racket. I might even be backing Zhang at minus 140 here. There's a minus 140 at Pinnacle that'll probably be taking us. And like you say, if, if the money comes in on Hijikata, it'll certainly be on Zhang, that's for sure. Yeah, seen that style uh, dominate Hajikata with uh, Struf. Uh, even Baez did it at Indian Wells. Thompson two times over the course of the summer on grass as well. So Laszlo Gera is a competitor. However... Pretty massive dog here against Novak Djokovic. Rightfully so. Don't get me wrong. He's playing Djokovic. Nine and a half games is a lot, though, spread-wise. 28 total. Uh, these guys played in Belgrade last year in three sets. This is on clay. Jera's preferred surface. Uh, certainly not a hard quarter, but underrated hard quarter, I think. Novak won that at, at two tiebreak sets. Is the market undervaluing Jera uh, a bit here, John? I no. mean, go ahead. No, I, look, I do think Lazo Jera is an undervalued hard quarter. It's because I think we we write him off as a clay quarter. I, I just think that his undervaluation comes in against the Diaz Acostas, the Gastons, the Mickelsons, you know, even a, an out of form Nakashima. That's where the disrespect comes in on quicker courts. I still don't see much that indicates he's a good hard quarter, if you know what I mean. Like you could be undervalued, but still not be that good on a surface. Like you beat Zizu Bergs, cool. You got crushed by Dimitrov. Right. You beat, beat Alex Molchan, get crushed by Martyrer. Good players with power with at the top end of the game or with power, one or the other, or both, which Djokovic has in spades, really do tend to put him away easily. And Djokovic isn't screwed ago. Uh, you, you could actually catch on to a trend where Djokovic kind of took it easy, almost Federer like in the early rounds of majors, where you could see he would. He he had no problem winning 6-4, 6-3, And those plus 10 game spreads were coming in like crazy. This is like oh, 6, 16 or 17, I think, uh, back when I first start, joined Gambling Twitter. Now, this year, it's clear he wants to get off court immediately. And is Jared better than, than Zapata Mirais and Mueller? Sure. Is he that much better? Not really. For me, this total should be at 27. I think 3-3-3 three, three, and three is more than enough respect for Lazo Jared. And we're seeing a 28 and a half out there at minus 120, 28 at a pretty uh, standard price point. So I'd probably lead towards that under. I might sprinkle Jared to win a set at plus 285, just pure variance. <laughs> well, you know what? If I'm going to lose the under, I'd rather it happen that way. I'd rather he do a, take a set to do it. There's a plus 300 at Pinnacle. So at least you would have a nice little cash there if the under doesn't come in. 
I mean, get into a third set tie break. You got three yeah, shots. That's, what, that's to what's going to happen. You get three he'll shots. Lose, he'll lose a tie break. <laughs> yeah, you got three shots to get to a tie break at plus 300, 0.25. Why not? And let's round to the finish. Bornegoyo probably going to blow Vesely off the court. Vesely looked like he was about to die. Uh, somehow got the super breaker from Francisco Sorrendolo. Any upset watch here, John? Not off back-to-back five setters with Yeri. I mean, I love I love the the big lefty doughboys because I mean I am one. So you know Dom Strickers and Yeri Vezzi's I'll always root for. But <laughs> I thought he was donezo once I saw I tuned in and I saw Sarundolo and I saw the way he was moving in the fourth set. I was like, yeah, this is over. How Fran lost that match, I do not know. No, there's for me it's it's Goyo all the way here. This is priced in perfectly though. By the way, don't think you can be like, oh yeah. Vesley's hard. I got an edge here with Goyo. No, no, it's Goyo's minus 300 and at some places minus 325. I mean, this is priced right in to the the, the market. Vesley on, if, if it, all things equal on a, on a hard court with his serve and his game and Goyo's kind of serve in his own right, this would be a probably minus 135, minus 140 price line. So you could almost make the case that if anything, it might've gone too far. Uh, to price Vesley here. But again, back-to-back five setters, that is a big deal. And I'm not confident you're Vesley backing up that uh, 10 sets of tennis on a combined two days rest. You can get Goyo minus one and a half sets at minus 145. Uh, I'm actually going to bet that right now. But see, even that seems a little juicy for me. I get, you know what? I think that if the, the best case scenario is is the first set goes to a tiebreak, regardless of who wins it, I cannot see Vesley uh, off, of, off of off 10 sets and a first set tiebreak really doing much after that. If you've got a four, a, a short first set, like a 6-2, and Vesley wins it, I'd be really worried about paying, you know, the juice to get a minus one and a half sets. But um, yeah, as this match wears on, Goyo should really take over. All right. Anything in the Mensik Fritz match for you, John? No, that's priced well. Look, big fan of Jakub Menschik. I do think that Menschik has had a solid year, and it's really happened during the season, right? It didn't, it wasn't off-season preparation, and then he's out of the gates flying. It's It's been a, a lot of improvement at 17 years old within the season, which is honestly something you love to see because a lot of teenagers rely on their talent and they don't really get better until they hit a, a wall of resistance. You know, I love him, but Ben Shelton comes to mind in that regard. Menchik is starting to put this together as the season goes on. Solid backhand. The forehand is a monster. The first serve is a monster. The second serve is really, really weak. And Tito Androge just, not only did he not punish the second serve, but he hit it back to Menchik's forehand. When, when if you're gonna give Menchik a plus one ball in his second serve that he can, like, stay in a neutral rally with, it's got to be to the backhand side. I'm hoping Fritz and his team are gonna watch that match and realize every second serve has to. I, like, if it, there's heavy topspin and you don't want to try and crush it for fear of hitting an error, at the very least, push it back to his backhand. Do not give him forehands for plus one balls on his second serve. If Fritz does that. He rolls again for the third straight match. Um, Menchik's also played two relatively... There were only four setters, I think. Both were pretty competitive, pretty long affairs. I'm not huge on his prospects here. All right. We've literally set it all on round three. Follow John at Tweets Tennis, at Tibbetts Tennis. Follow us at MP9 Tennis. Do like and subscribe on every podcast platform. Give us a rating, a review if you like what you hear. Until next time. See you on the court.